Please join me as I pray. Father, as we gather into worship this morning, as we open your word, Father, you know and see every person in this room. You know what we need. You know our greatest desires, our greatest burdens, those things weighing heavily on us. You know the joys that we bring in. Thank you that you know and you see us. As we open your word, Father, I pray that you would so speak to us through it. To that end, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Take this glorious word. Let it sink into our hearts and into our minds and through your grace transform us to know you more fully, Jesus, and to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, someone pointed out to me in the bulletin that you received, it's a little different than the one I have uh, up here, uh, there's two pages, two full pages for sermon notes this morning. Uh, no, it is not going to be twice as long, I can assure you of that. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, I, the past few days, I have been with a friend at a, at a conference in Charleston, South Carolina called Mere Anglicanism. It's a group that put this on, and the theme was speaking the truth in love. How do we as followers of Jesus live in the world today speaking the truth in love amidst all the challenges we face? Well, I heard this great story, and it ties in with what I was going to be preaching on, so I've got to tee it up with this story. So the story is about men and women training to become police officers who would be out patrolling streets and highways. And as you can imagine, to be an officer, you go through rigorous training in the classroom and in the car and elsewhere. One of the classes that these candidates were given, went through, they were given a scenario of a serious car accident. The officers who were leading it wanted to see how they would respond under pressure, what they would do in a situation that's kind of inconceivable in a way. So here's the scenario they put out to these uh, trainees. It was early evening, the sun was setting, and a thick fog rolled in off the coast, causing a massive traffic jam with many cars colliding into one another, a pretty serious accident. You arrive on the scene, and you quickly look around, assessing what's going on, and the first thing you see is a car that had just caught fire, and a family is in it. Then you see someone getting out of another car and quickly beginning to run, and you realize that you recognize that person because that person had just escaped from a maximum security prison and was on the loose. What do you do? Who do you go to first? <laughs> Who do you go and save? How would you respond? As you can imagine, these cadets responded in many different ways, but one of them replied in this way. I take off my uniform, get out of the car, walk into the crowd of bystanders, and just blend in. <laughs> Come on, what do you do under pressure? What do you do under pressure in a situation you have no idea what to do? His idea was, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't think so. I'm just going to take off what I'm wearing, put on regular clothes, and go and just blend in with the crowd when things are out of control. Heard that story. was reminded of what I was going to be speaking on today. Friends, we're living in challenging days today, to say the least. We're not just living with a fog having rolled in. So many people are living in chaos and in darkness Many people would say that things in our country and even around the world are out of control. And add to that, living in a post-Christian culture today in America, there's a new morality that, that's permeating all the corners of society. And, and, and I will say, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
for many, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond with, with all the stuff going on around us. But one thing I'm beginning to see is that people are starting to just blend in. People are starting to just blend in in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of not really knowing what to do, blend in with the social norms of the day, taking our cues from the culture instead of letting God's Word form and shape us. The great irony, which is actually a great tragedy if you think about it, it's the narrative of our secular culture promises a way of life for people to flourish, but friends, it's actually doing the exact opposite. See, people are becoming more and more dissatisfied with life. I don't know about you, but when I look around, here's what I see. I see people who are angry, people who are combative, people who are disoriented, confused, afraid, disappointed, overwhelmed, weary, hopeless. I'm sure you could add to that list. It goes on and on and on. The question I want us to think about as we look at this gospel reading, a couple of passages from it, is this. How do we as followers of Jesus live well in an increasingly post-Christian culture and instead of blending in, standing out, not to be offensive as many have done, but to stand out to be a ray of hope, a ray of light, a beacon in the midst of the heavy fog and darkness that is set in, that we would actually come as people offering words of life, words of hope. Instead of just blending in, how are we going to respond? And I think about our culture today. How are we as followers of Jesus going to respond when things get more and more challenging? We're in the midst of a heated political season. How are you going to respond as a follower of Jesus so that your light, instead of being an offense to so many people, will actually be a beacon of light in the midst of the fog that people will be drawn to and not necessarily see you, but see Jesus through the way you speak and act Well, the gospel reading this morning shows us the way. Jesus gives us wisdom and insight into that. It's a message that I will say many of you here have heard, but it's a message that we need to hear over and over, and I would say every day. But I know for some here in this room and some watching, it's a message that you have not heard before. And what my prayer is hope that you would see this as an invitation into life, an invitation into what you've really been longing for, And you find it here through the words of Jesus. We're only going to look at two verses. That's why it's not going to be two pages of notes. Two verses. Verses 14 and 15. Here's what we read. Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, and he's talking about John the Baptist. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you know what the gospel of God is? The gospel means good news. Jesus is coming and proclaiming that good news has come. Good news has come into the world filled with confusion, filled in darkness, pain, sorrow, suffering. Good news has come. Jesus is coming and proclaiming that it's not just good news, but it's good news of a new kingdom, of a new kingdom that has invaded the kingdom of God of this world. So two things I want us to look at briefly. First, what is this new kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming? What is it about? What's the new kingdom? Secondly, how do we respond to it? How do we respond to this message of Jesus today? First, what is this new kingdom? When you think about kingdom, we need to think about two kingdoms in particular, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. 
Now think for a moment about the kingdom of this world. When you think about the kingdom of this world, likely things like this are going to come to your mind. You know, you're talking about nations, governments, lands governed and ruled by various leaders. That's the kingdom of this world. According to the scriptures, that's not the kingdom of this world. Here's what the kingdom of the world is. The kingdom of this world is about the self-rule that you and I seek to set up in our own lives. See, the kingdom of the world is not out there. The kingdom of the world is in here. It's all about the self-rule of how we seek to live our lives. Think about it. Every one of us deep down wants to live an autonomous life. We want to live the way we want. We want to call the shots. We want to do it. We don't want anybody telling us what we ought to do. In other words, we want to be the sovereign rulers of our lives. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Isn't that what Adam and Eve chose? Go all the way back to the very beginning of the Scriptures. They walked in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful land with God Himself. But when Satan came in the form of that serpent, he brought a question in. Is God really that good? And they began to question God, and what they really ultimately were saying is, I want to be the ruler of my life. I want to be the king or queen of my throne, of my home, of my land. You see, that's happened with every human being since then. We all want to create our own story. We want to create our own identity. The kingdom of self is all about self-fulfillment. But if you think about it, self-fulfillment is really an oxymoron because we were never designed to fulfill ourselves. We can't fulfill ourselves, but yet we try, don't we? We try with so many things in this world that, that we latch on to think, okay, this is going to give me happiness. This is going to make my life satisfying. And, and we try to fill it, try to, try to fulfill our lives, but we can't because we were never created to. Think about this. What do you think happens when we live as the sovereign rulers of our own lives? Think about what that looks like if you're married in your marriage or with your friends. Think about what that looks like. See, being the sovereign ruler of our own lives, we ultimately demand our own way. We may phrase it differently, but we know how to manipulate things to try to get what we want. We put our wants and desires above others. We don't want to submit to authority. There's no living, really, for the true flourishing of others. We're all out for our own happiness, our own well-being, our own prosperity, and on and on and on. But you look around... And where do you think that's gotten the world today? You see wars, division, hostility, confusion, chaos, broken relationships. And I'm sure you could name a number of other things of what it looks like today as a result of ruling ourselves. Friends, that's why the message of Jesus today is so crucial. That's why the message of Jesus is timeless. And it's a message that we need to hear over and over and over again. Jesus is proclaiming that a new kingdom has come into the kingdom of this world. A new kingdom has come in that we would see we are not the kings and queens. Jesus is. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I love that language, the time is fulfilled. Because what we find from the very beginning of the Old Testament scriptures all the way through to the New Testament you read those stories, and you could insert your life into almost every story in a way, can't you? It's our story. It's a story of brokenness. It's a story of pain. It's a story of longing for something better. But all throughout that story, there is the thread that a Redeemer is coming, 
The king is ultimately coming, and he's not found in an earthly king. He's going to be found in a heavenly king. And Jesus announces the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come to usher in a new way of life, a new hope, and a new future for all humanity going forward. The king, the kingdom is God's rule and reign over all creation. In Psalm 103, verse 19, we read, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Those words were penned by Israel's greatest king, David. And he said, The Lord established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Most earthly kings would come and say, No, my kingdom rules over all. But David had a greater vision, a greater prophetic vision, that there was going to be a greater king after him. And he would be the Lord God himself. Friends, the good news of what Jesus came to bring is this. There is only one king. And he came into this world not to condemn it, as some might think. He didn't come to condemn this world. He came to save it. He came to restore it. He came to redeem it, to buy it back. And what they didn't fully understand back then, but what we know today, the way that he would come and save and restore was by the most unbelievable way imaginable that the Savior, the King, the Son of God would take on flesh and that He would be the one, the ultimate good news, who would go to the cross for your sins and mine so that we could know the love of the Father in heaven. That's what kind of King our King is. And this is the kind of kingdom that He has come to bring in this world, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of flourishing. That's the kingdom of God. The good news, friends, is the king is here. So the second question we need to look at is this. How do we respond? How are we going to respond today? How are you going to respond tomorrow when you wake up that a new king has come? Well, Jesus gives us the answer on how he longs for us to respond Verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the key. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Friends, repentance is first and foremost. It begins by us coming to the conclusion that we are not the sovereigns of our own lives. We're not the rulers of our lives. There is one, and his name is Jesus And he came to to take us off the throne, if you will, that he would rule and reign on the throne of our lives because he has a new way of us living, a kingdom, a greater kingdom calling and way to live. That's what repentance begins with. Repentance is really this. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mindset from one thing to another. Think about it. It's turning from those thoughts that we've thought against others where we want to elevate ourselves and push them down. You know, those thoughts and other thoughts that we think that are coming out of our own flesh, out of us wanting to be the ruler of our lives. It's turning from those words that we've misspoken, whether it's gossip, trying to put someone else down again to elevate ourselves. It all goes back to us wanting to be on the throne of our lives. It's turning away from those... It's turning from those things that we've left undone that we know God wants us to do, but instead we've chosen our own ways to doing things. And it's coming and turning to the one who forgives and gives grace that never, friends, hear it, 
He gives grace that never runs dry. Repentance is not just one thing. It's it's repentance is recognizing something, turning from it, a mind shift to something else. We'll see more in a minute. Let me tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not just saying, I'm going to try harder and do better. Repentance is not going and making a promise or saying, God, I'm sorry I did this. I promise to do better next time, or I promise to never do it again. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you done that? have done that? <laughs> I sure have, and I find myself doing it right back again. Yes, it is saying, I don't want to do that again. But friends, we can't on our own. We can't uphold those promises we make on our own. There's no way. That's why the king came. That's why Jesus came. He enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. And this king and his sovereign grace, after he was risen to to the right hand of the Father, gave us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who lives in us, who now enables us to be able to do what we could not do on our own. Friends, repentance is coming to the Lord with our brokenness and seeing that Jesus is enough. He's enough. I want you to hear that this morning. Now, when I think about this idea of repentance and then believing in the gospel, I think about it in this way. The challenge for me is not always the repentance part. Although, ask Kimberly and she'll tell you, yes, sometimes it is that part. Ask others. Sometimes it is. The bigger part for me, the more challenging part for me is this, believing in the good news. I wonder if it's that way for you. We can come to that place and name our sins and repent of our sins, and we often find ourselves then just stuck wallowing in our guilt, wallowing in our shame, the narrative, I can't believe you did that. That's not the good news. <laughs> Repentance is naming it and turning and turning to the one who forgives believing in the good news that it's God's mercy and kindness that leads us to repentance. It's believing in what is true of our Father in heaven. As St. Paul puts it, He is our Abba, Father. The most intimate of words. God sees us and He welcomes us. He doesn't cast us off, but He welcomes us in our sin and brokenness. A friend of mine put it this way, repentance is a liberating and joy-producing act. Repentance is a liberating and joy-producing act. The reality is, the more one follows Jesus, it's not that we find ourselves repenting less. We repent more because we see more and more of, uh, of the mess in our lives that we come to receive and believe in the gracious forgiveness of God. Friends, it matters what we're turning to. It matters what we're believing in. Henry Nouwen once put it this way, I cannot, I cannot continually say no to this or that unless there is something ten times more attractive to choose. Saying no to my lust, my greed, my needs, and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes. Who has become or what has become more beautiful in your lives? Repentance is turning from something to something, to someone who is the Lord, the King, Jesus Christ, friends, who gave his life so that you and I could be set free. That's the glory. 
That's the grace of this gift, of what it looks like to live in this new kingdom, that our lives become this rhythm of repentance and believing in the good news of the gospel. Because, friends, that's what sets us free. That's what takes the guilt off of us. That's what takes the weight off of us, the shame. It's repenting and then believing in the glorious news of Jesus. Let me read the passage one more time, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, the words of Jesus, if you really think about it, command a response. They command a response from us. To remain neutral means that one has rejected the king and his kingdom. We can't remain neutral to that call. Because if we do, then we have rejected the king from coming in to our lives so one theologian put it this way. I love how he articulated it. Both verbs in the Greek are present imperatives. That is, they enjoin living in a condition of repentance and belief as opposed to momentary acts. Repentance and belief cannot be applied to certain areas of life, but not to others. Rather, they lay claim to the total allegiance of our lives. The king wants all of us. The king wants all of us because he is the restorer of our lives. And he knows as we come in these modes, as we, as we turn away from, from blending in to the cultural narrative of life, he calls us up. He calls us out that our lives would look more and more holy, not perfect, more and more holy as his life is. Friends, the reality is we wrestle with this daily. We wrestle with it daily. That's why the call to repent and believe in the gospel is something we need to be about all of our lives. And I want to end with this. Spiritual conviction, spiritual conviction, which I believe is repenting and believing in the gospel, will bring societal transformation. Spiritual conviction, believing and repenting in the gospel, I believe will, be, will bring societal transformation. Here's what I mean by that. When we live lives of humble repentance and turning to Jesus, receiving this good news, we're living out of the reality that there's a king who loves me, who has set me free. Our lives begin to look different. The things that we once did that didn't please God, we don't begin to do as, we don't do as much. And our lives begin to look more attractive. And friends, when, as we live in this world, as the fog has set in, and it's getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Darkness is getting more and more prevalent. The call for us, the gift we bring to this world is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That through our lives, the way we engage one another, the way we love one another, the way we serve one another, the way we sacrifice our lives for one another, you get in the picture? It means that we're not on the throne anymore. The more we live as if we're not on the throne, I will tell you, that will be so appealing to people around us. That's how Jesus lived his life. And you see all kinds of people flock to him. And there was societal transformation and lives were transformed. The invitation, friends, is that we too would come and repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. One, so that we could be set free and walk in that freedom, but two, so that we would bring the glorious presence and light of Jesus to this world, that darkness would be dispelled 
that the fog would be lifted from different people's lives, maybe even here today, and that we would see the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do bless you for this, and I thank you for the way that you challenge us. I thank you for the way that you call us into greater things because you are the greater one, and with you there is life and hope and peace. So, Lord Jesus, come. Have your reign among us. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer each Sunday, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that people will come to see the glory and beauty of your saving grace. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.